Welcome to the Theatre of Others podcast. My name is Adam Marple, and I'm the co-artistic director of the Theatre of Others. With the COVID-19 pandemic forcing a shutdown and re-evaluation of space and gathering, we at the Theatre of Others are thinking about what stories we need and how best we can share them. We believe space is psychology, and it informs the way in which an audience interacts and reacts to what is presented to them. We create uniquely theatrical events in bespoke sensory performance spaces crafted to encourage curiosity and grant the audience permission to commune with the play. Now that that space has moved online, how can we encourage interaction and action amongst an audience virtually? The Theatre Brothers produces plays that both welcome and challenge the audience. We are committed to international collaboration and are a laboratory that helps artists grow through intensive study of their craft. The Theatre Brothers creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purpose of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task, and it requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? On the podcast today from Melbourne, Australia, our co-artistic directors, Woody Miller, and myself in Cairo, Egypt. This podcast contains explicit language. Hi, Adam. Hi, Booty. How you going? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? I'm so good. You're so good. Yes, I'm very, very good. Oh, why? Do tell. Well, today mm-hmm. I drove into the cité from my palace of Shangri Ulala. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The Arbre de la Life of Happiness, Joy, and Peace, Calm, Serenity, and Healing Light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I went to my dermatologist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I could get my um, my meds for my beauty, my beauty cream. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yes, yes. You, you got this, your oil this, of Olay? Yeah, yeah, my, my oil of Boutet. <laughs> Because um, you know, so this soft. is not natural. It's no, because it's not natural. It's not. It's not natural. This oh. is not natural, y'all. I had to go to the dermatologist to keep my stuff, you know, clean and sacred, smooth, supple. I'm really out of control today because because I have a really special jumper on. I have the most amazing hoodie. Uh-huh. I have got. Do you see my? Can you see my hoodie? I can. Nobody like, on this podcast can see it, but yes, I can. Can you? Yes, I see it. Yes. Can you read it? What does it say? It says Detroit Public Theater. Oh, uh, yeah. It does, doesn't it? And it's a it's a really good font. It's a really good design. I'm really very it's, it's impressed deadly. with it. It's deadly. It's I'm impressed it's with it. Yeah. It like it looks like it looks like like Chinese, like ancient Chinese stamp. Meets mm-hmm. like uh, Hunger Games, mm-hmm. meets like meets like Tron, meets like um, Tetris, meets like Rubik's Cube, meets like theater. And I was so lucky to get this. This is this is like this is like legit like historical like vintage. Merch. 
Wow. I took this shit off the back of one of the co-founders, baby. <laughs> you stole this hoodie. <laughs> I wouldn't say it on stole. Air. Okay. I what wouldn't would say stole. And if they and if they try to claim to claim that I did steal it, I will I will lie and say oh. that I did not steal it. Okay. <laughs> no, it's it, I, I I had to have it. I, I I basically was like, I'm not leaving the country without this without this hoodie. And it has a, it has a long history. It, it this this hoodie has has been around the world, I, 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 and and has seen many things that cannot be repeated on this podcast. Okay. Okay. Seen many things, touched many beings, hugged many a star. Wow. Yeah. Don't wash it. Whatever you do. I wash it, baby. You put it in a display case. I sleep in it. I sleep in it. I poop in it. Gross. I pee in it. Mm -mm. I walk my dog in it. Now you need to wash I podcast it. in it. I shower in it. I dry in it. <laughs> Detroit Public Theater, y'all. The Detroit Public Theater. You know, it just makes me think of someone, someone very near and dear to us, Adam Marple. Oh, we're, we're already here. Okay, great. I mean, because, I mean... <laughs> I can't. I can't just shoot the shit now, cause I got. I, I cause I got. I, I'm not gonna make any sense because this person makes me crazy. Good. <laughs> it's a, it's More so for than me normal. to act okay. like they're not in the room. Uh huh. <laughs> for me to like be like nonchalant. That's how we pronounce it, Adam. Nonchalant. Okay. I know okay. you'll try to pronounce like you, like you, like. <laughs> like Bibliophile it and make it nonchalant. I'm not talking to you anymore. <laughs> like, like I say niche, you say niche. Um, and if you'll notice that uh, I was pronouncing it correctly and you were pronouncing it incorrectly, I still. say portato, you say potato. I say tomato, you say tomato. I wonder what our guest would say. Oh my gosh. She Just would probably it. say Let's <laughs> get to it. She'd probably say she doesn't know it because it comes in a can. It a does not come in a can. <laughs> I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is what I have to put up with all the time. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Tomato and I eat it fresh. <laughs> <laughs> They have fresh tomatoes in Yip Ypsilanti? They do. Oh that wow, that's amazing. We're gonna have we're gonna have a we're gonna we're gonna have a a, a, a region war, like <laughs> a territory war on the podcast. Ypsilanti versus Ann Arbor. It's on. It is on. No, but see we, we bring up we we come to peace in Detroit. In Detroit we, we come in peace. That's correct. Yes. Adam, who is on the Who am I talking to, Adam Marple? I have no idea. You've not introduced this person. There's Could just a it voice. There's just a, there's a disembodied voice of the podcast. It's a dis who, is who is this disembodied voice that refuses to admit that she eats canned tomatoes? 
ladies and gentlemen, and non-binary conforming individuals, we are so lucky today because we have someone super, 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 super special on the podcast today. We have Sarah Claire Corporandi. Yay! Yay! The co-founder and producing artistic director of the Detroit Public Theater. Yeah, and you probably also know her from the Chautauqua Theater Company, where she was there, what, 11 years, 12 years, 13 years? How many years has it been? How long were you there? 14. 14 years as the managing director. Finishing as the managing director. That woman is the bomb, and I'm so glad she's here. I told you she'd come. I wonder, did, you, did you listen to the podcast? And I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Sarah Claire come. I'm going to make Sarah Claire come. <laughs> I did not hear that. Yes. And thank it's, you for having me. And please, please um, introduce me every time <laughs> I need to be introduced anywhere because I'm excited to hear what I have to say after that introduction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah no, yeah. no pressure. No pressure or anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please. She can handle the pressure. This yeah, woman, I tell you, I tell you. And look, Sarah Claire, we're just so happy to have you here because we're one of the few people that still believes in theater. That is not true. <laughs> it's not true. So many people believe in theater right now. It's just okay. um, lots of different kinds of theater and feelings and stuff and practice. It's just, it's 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 reshaping itself. So how okay, lucky we to get it. to be alive during this crazy time. Okay, speak on it, sister. Tell, okay, so my so this is I asked this question of of many who come to this to this uh, <laughs> digital space, but I'm, I'm going to re- I'm going to restructure it because you're the first theater manager that we've had in this space. You're the first person that hires a whole team of people to make theater, and this is really important um, because we we we've been talking for so long about. Being the for on the creative side of the part of the creative side where you know as the actor and as the director we've had you know writers and dramaturgs um, and uh, actor trainers but you're our first actual managing director and producer actual, and producer. I would say uh, producer yeah you know of right now you're a producer you know. If, if, you know, it's like, but you can speak to all those different, all those different areas of theater management and 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 hiring people. And what does it, what do you look at when you see, when you're in the room and you you've seen actors auditioned for conservatories. You you've hired designers. You've hired directors. You've hired writers. I mean, y'all, we have like a. Oh wait, this is the other thing, Sarah Clara. And you have to you have to say yes to this. You can't say no. <laughs> Okay, what am I doing? <laughs> People are going to want to know more about uh, what's happening on this podcast. So if we send out some questions, some clarifications later on in the podcast, and people send you some questions directly, we're bringing you back on to answer them because your your knowledge is, is too important for us to not share with the world. And I don't want to try to, you know, say we can answer what you what you can do way better, way better than we can. So, yes? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. By the way, this is what it's like when we sit and have dinner. I know, I know. Just giggles galore. <laughs> but we always get to it, right? Like we always talk about something <clears throat> hot and heavy or deep or and then we just laugh. 
Yeah. So here's my question. What makes a great theater company? I mean, wow. I don't, is that like a, do I have facts to that or an opinion? It's my personal (laughs) experience. I've worked with a lot of different theater companies. Um, And so I can only speak from my viewpoints during working for all of those different theater companies and who I was at that time in my life and what I thought I was going for and what I was working through and all of that shit. Right. Like, and so Mm. now where I'm at now, I have, um, Actually, I, I will say power of now, power of now, <laughs> power of now. I actually just recommended that book to my younger brother. And I, I remember when I read that book, um, when you sent it to us before we went to Bali, um, Chris and I, my husband, and mm. did a two-week workshop with Booty there. And that book was like, made me so mad, <laughs> made me so mad. And like, I wrestled with it. Um, but I was like, I was like, well, I'm supposed to read this book for this workshop. So I'm going to read the fucking book. Right. So like I read the book and I fight with it and I'm mad at myself. And then like, I sit with it. But what is it like, you know, 15, 16 years later, it's something that I go back to in my daily life. And whenever I feel like I'm getting off track, I, Mm. I use it to recenter myself, just the Mm -hmm. simple idea of it. And so um, and why, what does that have to do with what makes a great theater company? Um, in my practice right now in Detroit, I say this every time I talk to someone, I've coined a new word. I've just said, oh, come on myself. now. Come on. Nim, nimbality. 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 <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> but I think in the past seven years at DPT, at Detroit Public Theater, I've learned that we, we had to be nimble. In the beginning, there was no choice, right? Like, like, and like stuff would come up every day and you had to be able to fix it and problem solve. If you were stuck in a certain way, you wanted to do it, you were not going to get forward in that way. And then, Mm. and so running a theater company at that pace that quickly, it was just always about communication and being nimble and open and listening to the group. And then the pandemic hit. And we all learned a a new kind of nimbality. I'm going to say, how many times can I say nimbality? Come on. If you say it Um, enough, it'll end up in Webster. Yes. Well, well, my husband always says, my husband got me a book that says that word doesn't mean what you think it means. Um, (laughs) Can you send that to Booty? Can you please send that to Booty? (laughs) Oh, no, I don't want it. And I'm going to tell, I'm going to read Chris for giving that to you. Chris, you are in trouble. the thing in our marriage um uh, and so <laughs> the pandemic made that made us all do that uh, every like as humans it made us do that but as theater makers from you know the performer all the way up to the producer all the way to the side to marketing development everyone we all had to keep changing and changing and changing and pivoting and as a producer from my perspective, it was like, I probably did 40 different budgets. Well, maybe the season will look like this. And then next month, it was another oh, wow. thing, right? So like, mm-hmm. so it was always about planning and it felt like never about doing. But we're still surviving. We're still around and a lot of companies are. And for me, what makes a great theater company is that we're nimble and responsive and not just to the needs of um, what it is to make a piece, but that then... I want that to like permeate all the way out to my fingers, to our audience, to our community. So if our community, mm. if we hear from our community, we're about to open a new space, 
we have a plan, right, for the space mm-hmm. and what we're going to do. If we hear from our community that it's not hitting the sweet spot or not doing the right thing, we have to be nimble enough to change that. That's what mm. makes a good theater company. And for me, I it's just about um, service. It's about service to this community. Mm. And so when that's centered, I feel like we have a good theater company. Every show might not be Tony winning, right? But, mm-hmm. like, that's mm-hmm. not the point of what we're doing. Um, there's a lot of different things we're trying to do with each show, with each person in each show, with each artist that's getting the opportunity, with each artist that has something to say to our community. There's so many of those little pieces. And for us, we work very collaboratively. And so it's hard. I feel like it's hard for us to veer off in a direction and get too far in a direction that's not right because everyone's always pulling each other back and around or pushing each other, not just pulling back, but like, get out there, do that. Right. (laughs) So it's sort of this kind of like circle of like, who's taking the lead when I have this necklace that I bought, um, for two of my partners. I have three partners now, but, um, who are your partners? partners? My partners are, um, Courtney Burkett, Sarah Winkler and Dominique Mariso. Mm-hmm. And I have this necklace that I got um, us after like year two when it was three of us boots on the ground, Courtney, Sarah, and I. Um, Dom was on the board at that point, and it's these three circles, and they're all different sizes. There's a big one, a medium, and a small one, and they're all <laughs> intertwined. And um, for me, it was a good representation of how DP started, founded, and works, which is we're interconnected and that's the strength of the leadership at DPT and the different sizes are like sometimes one person's out front and someone's behind and then, and then you switch and someone has to play the middle role. And like, so we're all like supporting each other, giving each other the chance for their strengths to shine. And then also recognizing what weaknesses we have and how we need to complement that. That's what makes a great theater. Incredible. That is so anti-capitalism. (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're working on that. Yeah. That we're working and, on that. And feminine and juicy. Like literally and, and energetically. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, you know, we're trying to like I think we have a real we're in a position here to do things differently. Um, mm. and as when we think about our role in the Detroit community, in the Southeast Michigan community, in the Michigan community, and then in the national community, nationally, I think one of our responsibilities at Detroit Public Theater is to help the theater industry see that there are different ways for us to do it mm. and, um, not just talk about it, but we're going to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we're going to say, here's how it went and here's how you can do it too. And that doesn't mean it's going to be as easy for an organization that's been around a hundred years to do, to, to switch their model super quick and do it the way that we do. Right. Like we have an opportunity, we were building from nothing. Um, but, uh, that is really a goal for us is like, because I think that's the spirit of the city of Detroit and the people of mm-hmm. Detroit. <laughs> and so like, we're able to, I want to be able to say, people be like, Hey, Detroit's dipping, DPT is dipping their toe in that thing that we don't know how to do. They're going to figure it out and tell us all how we can do it. Like, you know? And so lead by example, right? Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So here's my question. This is my next question. How did you even, how did the three of you even come up with this idea what like where how did it start were you were you sitting and having coffee like fuck it let's just do it or did some was there is there an independently wealthy person in your in your on your team like how would 
because with the the young listeners that are um, like really curious about this, how would they even begin to start doing something like this? Um, great question. Uh, you know, I guess I would say it started in a lot of places. Uh, Courtney and I went to grad school together at Wayne State, and we um, she founded a company there called Breathe Art Theater Project that I worked with her on, and we were cross borders, so we performed in Windsor and Detroit, which was pretty cool. We performed in different two different countries, Canada and America, mm-hmm. Canada and America, um, and. I always knew I was going to get out of Michigan. So I like booked it out and, um, <laughs> you know, moved all over the country trying to find my community, my place, um, you know, learn a lot. I knew that I wanted to go out and get experience with different companies. And I think it was in 2014, I was home for the holidays and she said, Hey, will you, let's have lunch. I want you to look at, I met this woman. She moved here from New York. Her name's Sarah Winkler. And, um, we, we like, think we want to do a project together. And the more we talk about it, we're like, Hmm, Detroit doesn't have a major regional theater. Detroit has a lot of theater. Detroit has Detroit rep has been here for 60 years, um, in the neighborhood, holding it down. Um, there's a lot of smaller theaters around the city, but like most major cities who have a major regional theater that brings attention for that art form and visibility to the community in a bigger way. Like Detroit didn't have that. They have, when you Mm -hmm. think of Detroit arts, you think of like the Detroit symphony orchestra, the Detroit Institute of arts. These are world-class organizations, but Mm -hmm. performing artists um, needed that too. And so I sat down with Courtney and I looked at her budget and I was like, oh, this is a real budget. This isn't like a budget where, <laughs> you know, a bunch of people are going to work full time and make, you know, $10 or make a stipend of $100 mm-hmm. a month or something. This is, it wasn't a lot of money, but like people were paid small salaries, but like salaries. And um, it was basically the, th- it was basically like three people. And the more that I started consulting, I was on the advisory board and I, I had no intention of leaving New York city. We were living in New York city at that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, the more we consulted, they came to me and they're like, Hey, do you want to do this with us? Hmm. And so it took about six <laughs> months to convince my the husband. Sneak attack. The sneak, sneak, the attack. sneak attack. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to serve my community, come home and serve what, where raised me, but I didn't think there was a way for me to do it. And all of a sudden here is this way for me to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and in a city that I really love and that has given me a lot and I want to give back to. So, so, you know, that process happened and it became the three of us. And the way that we started was we went, we knew that we weren't going to have, in order to get funding, we weren't going to have any work to get funding, right? Like mm-hmm. there was nothing to show anyone in order to start. Yeah. So um, what's great about the three of us is we have different strengths. So we're co-producing artistic directors. We do all the artistic stuff together, all the fun Mm. stuff, Um, Mm. casting, designers, directors, season selection, all that kind of networking, community building, all that. And then we split the administrative duties up between the three of us. So Sarah Winkler's in charge of fundraising and board development. I'm in charge of... um, contracts, finance, HR, and strategic planning. And Courtney's in charge. She heads up production and marketing. And we all work together and communicate about those things. But those are the administrative things that we held in the beginning. And we just were like, 
balls to the wall, like literally like driving. Courtney was driving a 28 foot truck and then she gets out of it. They load something in and then she puts on a ball ground and we do a gala, right? It was that kind of thing in the beginning, just like live, breathe, crazy, crazy. We're doing a photo shoot and then like, you know, I'm cleaning a toilet for someone's housing. It's like, that's what it was, (laughs) but it felt so good. And I had never, um, worked in a community that was like Detroit was like, that's good for our city. I'm going to help you. You know, Mm. I'm not really into theater, but I'm going to help you. That's good for Detroit. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this Mm. feels selfless when theater often to me, I struggled with it feeling selfish. And, and Mm -hmm. I, and I don't Mm -hmm. mean that as a criticism. I'm an actor. Mm -hmm. I have an ego, all of those things. Mm -hmm. Right. But like, Mm -hmm. this was a different feeling. And, and also it was, um, I was running a company with two other women, and mm-hmm. that was a different feeling. And I, I'm not here to do any sort of mm. bashing at all, but like mm-hmm. being growing up and, and moving through my career in a very patriarchal, um, old sort of style of like, you climb the ladder, you do what you're supposed to do. And like, till you get to the top, right? Like, which mm-hmm. is crazy. And mm-hmm. that's gone. And so, um, it's, I will say in the beginning, you know, a lot of people made cracks about three housewives. <clears throat> Starting a theater company. Are you um, serious? I, really? Oh, yes, yes. Actually, a, a, a major a person that ran an organization in this in this city said something about that, and and oh I remember God. the first time we had like a load in, um, we heard someone say it's getting a little c word in here. Like, oh no! So oh. It was very much, um, and and you know what? If I was in my early 30s doing this, I'm not sure I would have been able to navigate that. Yeah, I, I, know, but, I know that, Sarah Claire. Yes. <laughs> uh, wow, wow. But I also had a woman on my right and a woman on my left. And we each Boom. had a woman on our right and a woman on our left. And so oh, sometimes yeah. when when there was something that like hit me hard or like stopped me, I could look to my right or left and that person would come in. And I kept thinking if I was running this solo – what would be happening in this moment? Would I be like in a mm. corner crying and get my shit together so that I can go back out there and be mm. instead I can be like, tag, you're it. <laughs> and there's such a freedom in that, right? And there's also yeah. such a freedom in like, you know, we all we all had kids, we all have kids. We all have and so that was just a given. We were business women who also had children and families. And if you ask our families, they're like, it was all DPT all the time, but we were doing both. I would run and get miles and then take them to her, you know, like that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't something that was ignored about who we were. Um, we were artists, we were mothers, we were wives, we were friends and we're business women. And so that influences a lot of how we run and work together and how we work together with the whole team. Um, Dominique came on, uh, after George Floyd was murdered, she came to us and said, and we see white American theater came out. She came to us and said, she had been on our advisory board. She'd been with us since the very beginning. Sarah knew her in New York. Sarah worked at Epic theater ensemble. Um, and you know, she's, I called Dominique to the daughter of Detroit. Um, she like, when, when she speaks, like <laughs> shut up and listen, um, you know, like, and yeah. so, um, she came to us and she joined our board after the advisory board. And then she came to us in 2020 and said, um, I would like to be more engaged and, um, commit more time. And I'd like to be on the leadership team. And we were just like, holy shit. Are you serious? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because some people ask me, some people are like, she said that. 
are you okay with that? I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, like, what a gift. Um, so, so, and so Dom really uh, focuses on, she's always been, you know, artistically, of course, like, we always, even when she was on One the, of our the greatest board, American playwrights to ever live. Correct. And she, but she also, like, you know, was always involved when we were, you know, making season selections. When we were talking about artists, we would always talk to Dom, even before she was on the leadership um, staff team. Um, and now, you know, all of that continues. And then she does, oh, she was also very involved um, in our marketing. Every time we did a show, like, she would really get in there with us about how we were marketing, communica- communicating to the Detroit community, what we needed to do different, that kind of stuff. Really big on community engagement. And so she does those sort of big picture things with us now that she's more deeply involved, um, national relationships, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm jumping all over the place, but so it's four of us, it's four women. Um, we do have, uh, all kinds of people that work for our team. Um, but there is something I think about us that is unique because we were started by four women and, and, um, we just are always trying to break the mold. That's deadly. Sarah Claire, it's I mean, you 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 you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing what we want to see more of. You're empowering our people. And giving us positions, putting putting all of us in positions of power. Women and people of color. You're we're doing you're doing it. You know, you're putting you're putting your heart and your politics where where your money is. <laughs> Yes. Oh, this it's is what I say. Money. You said something about money. I just want to get back to this. This is a real thing. Yes. When we started, we knew that like we were going to be able to get grants. You know, we're going to sell tickets, but no one's seen a fucking show we produce. Am I allowed to swear on this? Yes, you are. Cuss, cuss it up. Okay. Cuss um, it up. And so we went, <laughs> I will say, we, Sarah is well connected to the fundraising community in Detroit. She is not financing okay. us. People have asked that. That is not what's happening. That's not how we did this. We mm-hmm. went to, we, we did some, she's a wonderful, wonderful fundraiser. And between the three of us, we are out there making connections all the time. That's a huge part of my job. Partnerships, yeah. meeting people, all that kind of stuff. But yeah. we went and we got like eight gifts of like $25,000 and asked those people to commit for the first two or three years so that we knew we'd have like a chunk of money that was coming in for sure as we built our reputation and could start writing grants and all of that stuff. And so we did, it was a lot of individual giving in the beginning um, Mm -hmm. uh, that helped sustain us until we started to get an audience, ticket sales, and we started to be able to write grants, get government and foundation funding and we're still right now. We're gonna. We're about to go into our eighth season. There's still plenty of that work to be done. But I can mm. say that we, you know, we started off with like a budget that was about four hundred and thirty thousand, and the budget for next season is two million. Get it? Damn! Wow! That's <laughs> it. That's it. That's it. That's it. You and, and, and it's, it's, business women. Business women. Well, you know, we did a strategic plan after season two with our board. And I remember sitting at the table during one of the sessions and saying to the team, 
we have always had a very clear vision of what we're building and where we want to go and what we want to do for this city. I was like, can we, I was like, what are the markers? Where are the benchmarks? I know that I can't overnight go from a $400,000 budget to 2 million. What's mm-hmm. the right process of growth? And how do I get from this step to this step to this step? How do I get from us not living paycheck to paycheck and me being like, shit, we can't pay that until next week. You know, those sorts of, or what can I put on the credit card versus what I don't need cash for to like being able to make decisions in a different way. And what ended up happening was we, the staff, the founders said to the board, you know, the situation we're in right now, we're at the DSO, Detroit Symphony Orchestra, wonderful. They incubated us really. Like they gave us a, it was not cheap, but it was a good deal um, uh, to be in their space, but we were growing out of it quickly. And their programs that we shared that space were with, were also growing really quickly. And we said to our board, we think we need to find another space. And they're like, hold on, you know, like, hold Mm -hmm. on, you're so young, but we could, you know, my job in strategic planning is to be looking ahead what's coming. And I'm like, this is coming. And so as we started to look, we realized that um, there wasn't this another space in the city that had what had what we need and we needed to make it for ourselves. And so what we did was we started a campaign for the building and this is going to get into some nitty gritty fundraising, but it's really, it's very important actually, because I this think is this very is what important. helped us yes. a lot. Yeah. Instead of doing a capital campaign and a capital campaign is like a campaign where you raise money for a thing like the building instead of usually or theater companies do fundraising for their annual operating, you know, salaries, all that kind of stuff. Um, this was like specifically for the building. Someone advised us to do a comprehensive campaign, which means because, because we were so young, if we just did it for the building, it, there's a concern that all the money would come in for the building and then it would take away the money that we were getting for the annual operating. And we still needed mm-hmm. to operate and grow our staff and pay more, pay better wages and give health insurance as we move um, into becoming a more professional organization. And mm-hmm. so we did a comprehensive campaign where we did fundraising for the building and for our annual operating for the three years that we'd be doing the building and for a reserve fund. So it basically the pitch to everyone is like, we are building for the future. We are setting ourselves up for success. It's not just the building. We need to raise salaries, all of that kind of stuff. And once we're operating, we need to not have zero cash in the bank because shit Mm. happens. And so that's what we did. And we just started that right before the pandemic. Wow. And then we had to prove, then the pandemic happened. We were actually (laughs) supposed to sign the lease the day before the world shut down. We had a special board meeting. Instead, the board meeting was like, pause. What the hell are we going to do? And we are, we had this amazing landlord who like, it comes from a theater family. He's not, he's not a theater person, but he comes from a theater family. And throughout the pandemic, he was like, I want, I need you to sign this lease, but you will not have to pay rent until you start producing. So he actually held off two years of rent for us. My first rent is due August 1st. And we open our first show in the space on September 23rd. And so he, I was what I'm talking about, like partnership. Right. And, and our board, like our board who like three, you know, after season three was like, Oh my God, you can't leave the DSO has gone through this journey with us as well. And called (laughs) us to task about being super responsible and communicative and all of that kind of stuff. Um, But you know, we built up, we're building a building through the pandemic. We committed to staying alive and fit and doing the building through the pandemic because we wanted to make sure we didn't know who was going to be around, you know? Mm. So yeah. What was the question? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I, th- I th- that that is that is a wealth a wealth of yeah. information for our listeners. You have just given us a, a, a beautiful gift, and because Adam and I started this po- this podcast because of the pandemic, mm. like what are we going to do? We're theater people. We're th- yeah. What are we going to do? And we, it's so we have to we see. have to rethink. We have to rethink oh everything that we've been doing. You know, the theater has to change. This whole model is not working. It's clearly it's not working. What are we going to do? What what can we what can we talk about and speak on? Mm-hmm. And and so, I love I love 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 the the fact that you know you said I can't do it alone. She said I can't do it alone. Person on your right said she couldn't do it alone. The three of you together with Dominique also with four of you. It's. Uh, do you think the the singular, auteur, artistic director model is it dead? Is it is is that something that can't exist anymore? I mean, we see so many, we see so many regional theaters in America which has had the one artistic director, and then the second artistic director, and then maybe has graduated to the third in 70, 80 years of its existence, and we see them ossify, and then. You know, which is the exact opposite of what you're talking about—the nimbality. Like, is that mm. model is that model even possible anymore, or does it need to be this this group structure of you know amazingly talented people who can you know tag? I'll take that. Is that is that the future of theater? Is that what it needs to be? I mean, to me, it is, and I don't mean to like shit over where we came from because I think there's some value and <clears throat> what was contributed and how we got to this place. There was also a lot of harm. Um, mm. But for me, I think I talked about this earlier, like for when I was, when I wanted to be a theater artist, it was always made clear to me that it was like climbing a ladder, proving yeah. yourself. Right. And yeah. that's how I mm-hmm. operate. It's very stressful. It's a very yeah. stressful mm-hmm. way to live. Um, mm-hmm. And I have found I, I'm a better leader in this model. And yeah. so, and like, I had to be, I had to, I have to let go of ego in this model in a way that I maybe hadn't <laughs> before. And so in that sense, yes, I think it's a better model. Do I think everyone can do it overnight? No. Um, mm. <clears throat> but like, this is, we want to talk about this and say, this is an option because not just in the sort of like the burn it down way, but like, really, this is better for me as a human and an artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, it's better for our audience. Um, you know, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and I think what, if you're willing to go there and I think, you know, some theater artists are ready to make themselves incredibly vulnerable and like step in the goo and other ones are much more protected and nervous about that. And it's about sort of keeping this face and it's two different industries I feel like that are going on right now. Mm-hmm. And if you're stuck in the one that's about keeping the face, it's really hard to be honest and say, I'm not good at this thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't be good at all the things. Um, and, and I, I feel like for a lot of my life, I was like, I have to be good at all the things. And, Mm -hmm. um, this allows me to not be good at everything, but to be really good at the things that I'm good at, to learn from someone else about the things that I'm not good at and maybe get better at them and maybe be like, yeah, that's just not my thing. I can be back up on that. I, we are all also artists. And for me, that was a huge struggle in my life growing up. Like I started as an actor, I, you know, I was a singer. I studied all of that. I went to Chicago. I, you know, I did the thing that we all wanted she to do. She was a singer, y'all. She was in the, she was in the Ypsilanti, um <laughs> high school choir. 
the award-winning, yes. internationally known yes. high school choir. Yes. Did she yes, do Shabab Shop also? Did she, <laughs> she didn't do Shabab. She was better than Shabab Shop. <laughs> she went to Ipsy High. They had the best choir in the in the country, literally. Okay. Ipsy, Ipsy, Ipsy High. Yes. Um, but when I I went to grad school, I hurt my back in Chicago doing a show. And I started to look at grad schools, and I was like, well, maybe I want to be an artistic director someday. So, like, maybe I need to learn the business of it. <laughs> and I went to grad school for the business of it, which was incredibly painful to be on the business side and watch the actors and try to be like, mm. hey, I'm also an actor. Just mm-hmm. want to let you know, I'm part of that, too. But because mm-hmm. I'm in this program, the way the school was set up, it's like, you're this thing. You're this mm-hmm. thing. You're this thing. And I had... And it was after that I went that I went to Bali and like Bali. again worked through a lot of shit of like who am I as an artist, who says I'm an artist, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I went on this journey of like, you know, running theater companies, worked at like Barrington Stage, New York Stage and Film, Pig Iron, Chautauqua, like exploring that side of it, always still wrestling with the fact that I felt like I needed to tell everyone I'm also an artist. I'm not just mm-hmm. good with money. And then the yeah. fact that I had to tell people that felt so shitty. And it was like yeah. this struggle that I had with myself. And when I went and I worked in collaborative organizations where I've been close to the art, I was close to the art at Chautauqua. I was able to produce some things at Chautauqua. But when I came to Detroit, I had to say, you know what, ladies, I'm not a managing director. I have managing director skills, but I am an artist and a pr- producer and I need to be recognized in that way. And it was so hard for me to say. It felt so mm. selfish. I don't know why, but I had to do it for myself because it was this mm. horrible battle inside of me. And now at DPT, I've been in one show. It was amazing. Um, yeah. I can't be in another show for a while. My my time and contributions need to be on this side and that's okay. Um, but it was really great to be in a show at a theater company mm. that I run because I got to step into the shoes of what it's like to walk in as an actor and see it from that mm-hmm. perspective. And that's mm. so important mm-hmm. for me able to be really, re- to relate to that. Um, and so, but yeah, like I'm an artist too. And like the fact that, yeah. I'm acknowledged as that as that now. I don't feel like I need to do a show all the time. And that's yeah. my own shit. That's my own ego. Yeah. But yeah. like I had to walk through that. So when I talk about the future of theater and this collaborative model, we actually went to a T- the TCG conference a couple of weeks ago. And my partner, Courtney, was like, I am going to this session because I am very triggered by the title. And the title was, <laughs> so, it, didn't, it was just in words. No one said it with their voice. But here's the inflection. Here's the tone that we heard. <laughs> so how's that shared leadership model going for you? Oh, <laughs> and the session, I didn't go to the session because I just went to the conference. I didn't go to the conference. I went with Courtney, stayed in the hotel and worked and then went out with people. I was just not in a conference place this year. But <laughs> Courtney went to the session and she said it wasn't really a critical session about the shared leadership model. But it had the assumption of like, oh, yeah. How's that new thing all the young people are trying? I'm not even a young person. Like, I'm in the middle of this generational war and, and like, in the theater industry. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I understand that. But that's right. You know, like, but she said it wasn't really about criticizing it. But, like, there is a, the old school is like, yeah, they think that. And I even say that about millennials. So I understand how this works. I understand the cycle of life. But, um you know, she's a Gen Xer like me. Yes. We are not baby boomers, y'all. Jack, no. we're not baby boomers. <laughs> How many times? Jack's did you a say Gen Zer. Make it true. <laughs> He's a Gen Zer. I don't even know what that is. 
<laughs> what is it? 12 to, 12 to, 12 to 28? What is it? What is 12, 12 to, to 20, 12 to 21. 12 to 12 21. 12 to 21. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Poor, poor Jack. Poor Jack. Um, I'm going to put she that. Talk, she, a Gen Zenner? Is that what it is? Zed. Gen Z. 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 Gen oh, Z. Generation Z. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Z, I sound really old. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I'm just glad you could hear me. <laughs> eh? <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, sorry. Yes. So, so you're stuck I in this battle. You're stuck in this battle. Yeah, and so I just think that session allowed her to say, hey, they, they actually, I can't remember who was presenting, but they were presenting a different collaborative model that still, that was collaborative, but still felt like it had a little bit of a hierarchy. Um, and mm. she just, she just shared, you know, she shared that she was triggered by it and she said, it can be done. We're doing it. Come talk to us if you want, you know? And so mm. I think I would like, I would like other organizations to know it's an option that works and for them to explore it as an organization with their board. We had to bring our board along. They were like very confused. They're like, who is in charge? <laughs> they asked that a lot in the beginning. <laughs> Who makes the decisions? I don't understand. Um, how does this work? But you need someone to do that. Well, we all do that. No, you know, like, and so that was, we had to bring them along and like um, bring them in closer to understand how it works. I think a lot of people like want to sit in a meeting with, with the four of us and see what happens. Um, and so I want people to know that it's a viable option that when organizations are looking at if they need to change structure or make changes, this is a way to be much more inclusive. And so it's not my vision. It's not my season. It's all of ours. We're talking to the community. We're talking to each other. And we all bring plays to the table. But then we're able to say to each other, yeah, yeah I like that play. But that's really for us. And not as much for what our audience needs. And we've had some hard conversations about that before. Um, and But it's like you're, there's really good checks and balances. Mm. So you, did that, you totally answered the question I was going to ask you. of like Because you had said this model was really good for audience. And I'm now, now I really understand what you mean by it's good for the audience. Because the checks and balances are not going through one filter. It's going through three, four. It's going through four. four. And, and let me be 100% tra- transparent. I am, we are very aware that we were three white women that started a theater in a city that is 85% black. Mm-hmm. We are not building, we are specifically not, not trying to build a stereo, what we stereotypically think of as a major regional theater, right? Like we wanted to make sure it was for Detroit. And when I say that, like the uncoding of that is I want every black person here to know that they are welcome in this theater, that it is theirs and it is for them. <laughs> Right. And I recognize mm-hmm. that having three women at leadership maybe doesn't communicate that all the time. And we are working mm-hmm. on that. No one appointed us. We decided to do this on our own. Mm-hmm. We all made a lot of sacrifices to do this in different ways, financial, time, family. But as we are now in a position to grow the company, to pay people, you know, to pay people a proper living wage, to give them in health insurance, we are making sure that the company is incredibly diverse of age, thought, sexual orientation, um, uh, race, all of that. And, and we have this wonderful opportunity. We were, we've been seven full-time employees since the pandemic. We didn't lay anyone off and we're going, going to be 12 in August. We're going from seven to 12. And I'm just so 
happy. And it, and it's just feels so great to like give this community a voice, um, not just locally, but nationally. I am dumbfounded. <laughs> I have a, I have a big question. I, and I know people out there are, are thinking this. How do you go about selecting a board and getting them on board? Mm, getting them on board. Yeah. Getting them on board. Yeah. A lot of people struggle with that. Um, you know, there's the, there's the normal, there's lots of tools out there. You know, there's like a, a, a great grid you can use where you identify like all of the things you need on a board, right? I need a finance person. I need an attorney. I need someone to educate all of that. And then you go through and you make those slots and then you figure out who are the people in your community that are right for those slots. And then you bring them closer and get to know them and see if there's a process. There needs to be a process. Once you get them on the board, then there's a whole process of keeping them engaged. And like, I think in a lot of ways, we're really good at that. In other ways, like time, we don't always, we're still a small staff. I don't have all the time um, that I want to do board development, but our board is almost 20 now. And we still have some gaps we have to fill, but, um, um, and, and it's about bringing them in closer. And I will say in the beginning, I was a little bit defensive about that. Sometimes when the board would ask questions, why don't you trust me? You know, why do I have to lay that out for you? I, you know, do you not trust me? Cause I'm a woman. Do you not trust, you know, all of that stuff came up, you know, and then I took a breath, um, and realized that they're allies and that they, they just, I remember when we went in, I remember when we went in and to tell them we need a new space, we had two pages of bullet points and it was like a board meeting and they were just all like, what? This is huge. What do you mean? You have to, you, there's a whole, you know, process. And so we have gone through so many processes and we have board members that are more engaged and less engaged and some come in and out. But like right now, I will say specifically, um, our executive committee is a president, a vice president, a secretary and a treasurer. And I also, as well as having three women that I work with right now, I'm, I'm like heading up the building process, you know, like the, the actual building being the construction, all that kind of stuff. And I have the head of my space committee on one side, and then I have the head of my finance committee on the other side. And I work very, very closely with both of them. And I've had to let go of the things that I don't know, you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm the finance person at DPT. I have my MFA. I don't have my MBA. I'm not an accountant. Um, But also in the beginning, I was trying to prove myself. So I didn't want them to think that I didn't know shit. Um, and so, but at some point I had to say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how mm-hmm. to, you know, we're, we're, we're just about to sign a million dollar loan for the building and that process. I've never done that before. I've done a lot of things, but I've never taken out a million dollar loan on a building I'm building. I had to ask for help. And then when the board members come in and can help in that way, it makes them feel ownership, ownership. And like, is where I feel like you can bring the board closer in. But you're always trying to make sure they don't dip into places where they shouldn't be. And so there's a balance Mm. of watching that. I'm always the person. um, uh, Another thing that I use besides Power of Now is this um, analogy called getting on the balcony, uh, where you think about the the analogy that I use to describe it. There's a lot of different ways you can think about it. But imagine you're like in a ballroom on a dance floor. And you're dancing with a partner, like a waltz, whatever. We'll say it's a waltz. What does that look like? You're looking at your partner. You're making sure you're not running into people. Maybe you're shitty at dancing. So you're thinking about that, whatever. What does that look like? Okay, get off the dance floor, walk up 
Think of it as like a curved staircase, walk up to the top of the balcony, and now look at the picture. What do you see? And so mm. as an artist and as, as a producer, as a leader, I am always either on the floor, on the balcony, or in the middle. Can I straddle both? Can I be in both spaces? Can I be present with what's going on on ground, but also look ahead and make sure that if I see the ship turning in the wrong way or a cogs messed up, I can help nudge it in the right place. But if I stay on the balcony the whole time, I'm going to be too far away. I got to know what mm -hmm. it's down, like to be on the floor. And so I, I use that and power now pretty much every day. Wow. So I have a question then. What would you say to our little girls that want to do what you do? What's the biggest learning things that you've you've learned over the years that you wish you could have really had implemented in yourself as a as a young girl? Saying, "Yeah, I know this." Like before, because for us it was like intuition. You know, it's very, it's very, very few, like, uh, you know, because of the, you know, the, the environments that we grew up in. We didn't, we didn't grow up rich, right? So we had to make a lot of things happen around us. What would you say to those little girls in Ipsy, to those little girls in, in, in Ann Arbor? <laughs> and they, they see what you're doing now. And how would you, how would you inspire them to, to have that kind of chutzpah to get to where you, to do what you're doing? Ask for help. Find your people. Um, be vulnerable. Be scared and vulnerable. To me, that my vulnerability has got me the farthest, I think. I find like when I'm open and honest, that opens the doors way wider for me. But you also have yeah. to learn how to protect and take care of yourself and who is going to protect and take care of you. Um, but look for those, look for those women. Um, I had a hard time in the beginning finding women role models. Um, and I actually think I found, I've found some now, like some board members for me are like, or, you know, um, Nina Esman is the chair of our board. She's a Broadway producer. And like, I'm like, Oh, I'm in my forties, but you know, I'm, Nina's like a little bit of a mentor to me, you know? And like, so keep <laughs> finding that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, look for those. It's really hard to do it alone. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have to. Yeah, that's a big one. We get trained to thinking that we're on our that we gotta force ourselves into the world. You got you, none of this. None of this stuff happens alone. You don't. You can't no, do it yeah. in a vacuum. Yep. There's no way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Woo Sarah Claire Coparandi, you done dropped the gauntlet, sister. Um, talk about your your new space. Tell us, tell us oh how we can God. find the music. Tell us, I, I got, I was fortunate enough to catch it, to see it, because I was just home and I saw you like what last month, and so I got to see some of it. So talk about it. Tell us what's going to happen there. So we, um, it's an old garage. It used to be a car garage in Detroit, um, and for a while it was a Bay's English Muffin Factory, and now <laughs> it's going to be a theater. Funny story, Elaine Stritch from Detroit, loved Bay's English muffins, gave them out at every opening night. <laughs> They're good English muffins. They're very good English muffins. Um, so, but now it's going to be a theater. And we, um, just a couple of things, you know, I mentioned before we were incubated at the Detroit Symphony Orchestra that brought us a lot of visibility and credibility right off the bat. 
And so um, we're going to be doing that. We just announced yesterday or two days ago our residency program. We're going to be offering some fully subsidized and partially subsidized residencies for other arts organizations, Whoa. not just theater, but like spoken word, dance. You know, any there's a great spoken word community here, um, any other kinds of art forms. So we basically we got a grant last year to put together a cohort of leaders in arts organizations here to help us develop the residency program. We developed the application process with them. They're reviewing the applications with us. And then we'll offer, we're offering like two or three the first year, and then like we'll continue to offer it. So that's part of our programming in the space. We'll do four shows a year. And then we'll also, you know, some of the Revenue generation is from rentals, like for-profit rentals, but that's mm. not going to, that's not the business we're in, but there's a percentage that needs to be. Um, it's a 7,500 square foot building. It's got a beautiful open lobby and then um, a very large black box. Our signature is really in the DSO. We had to transform a rehearsal space into a black box theater for every show. And because of that, um, Every time you went in, it was like a different configuration and it looks totally different. And it became like our signature. And one of my favorite things about working at Detroit Public Theater is standing at the door when the audience comes in and then being like, oh, Oh my god, this looks so dude. Oh my god. And I can feel them being like, what is gonna happen now? You know, what's gonna happen at this experience? And that's that's a nim that's nimbality because now that's a signature. So we built a space. Yeah. It's yeah. a black box. It has brick walls. It has cur a curtain track. You can pull the curtains all the way around. You can pull them open. We have risers you can bring in or bring out. You can drive a car in there if you need to. You can have no seats in there if you need to. But it's totally flexible. We just had a design meeting, and they're like, do you have drawings? I'm like, the building isn't even done yet. But it's a black box. What do you want to do, right? And so um, we want it to – we don't want that space to constrict what an artist can come up with to do in it. So um, that's the space. We've got the residencies. We've got the rentals. We've got a bar. Another signature is you drink in the theater. You have to be able to get a drink and then sit in your seat and have a cocktail if you want. Um, and it's just going to be a place for community. And we hope people have book clubs there and um, feel like it's their space. Yeah. So what's the season? Do we have our season yet? The season, yes, we do. We are opening with Dominique Moriso's Mud Row, which um, actually is not does not take place in Detroit. It takes place in um, Philly, but it's about um, generations of families, homes, and gentrification. And we think it's the right piece to open a brand new space um, mm. in with. And then we're going to do this play called Nora that we've wanted to do for a very long time by Heather Raffo. Mm -hmm. um, we have a very um, large um, Chaldean <clears throat> Iraqi community here mm -hmm. in um, Michigan and mm -hmm. haven't quite connected with that audience the way we want to. We're partnering with the American um, Arab American National Museum on that show. And Heather is actually going to come and play the role of Nora. Um, oh. which is amazing. Um, and then, Wonderful. yes, really amazing. We actually just filmed um, her piece, Nine Parts of Desire with PBS and um, People's Light Theater. We did a film version of it that's going to be released next year, which is really exciting. We just really love and appreciate her as an artist. Um, and then we're bringing in um, Lisa Peterson's uh, Peculiar Patriot, which is a solo show about um, the prison system. And because, which I haven't even mentioned, we have a really, really important yeah, Shakespeare. Yeah, that was the next thing. Yeah, 
Shakespeare in prison. Yeah. Shakespeare in prison program. Um, Brandy Shepard Bates is a woman who started this program before DPT existed um, under a company called Magenta Giraffe. And Magenta Giraffe went away. And when DPT started, we absorbed Shakespeare in prison. And so now it's our signature community program where we go into the prison system and spend nine months with incarcerated people and do a Shakespeare play. And that also is like nine months. And that also is not hierarchical. Right. So like the facilitators that we bring in, it's a very collaborative. That group reads the play together, does a dramaturgy for it together, directs it together. They cast it together. They make the sets and then they perform it for the prison. And during the pandemic, because we couldn't go in the prison, we started um, a reentry program where we're able we got permission to connect with the folks that we worked with when they were released from prison. And so they're writing um they're doing a uh, like a Cliff Notes version of Richard the um, Third, but all the people from Shakespeare in Prison are doing the notations, and um, they're working on pieces together. And we've hired um, some of them to work for DPT. So bringing Lisa's piece, Peculiar Patriot, and sort of tying it more for our audience into our Shakespeare in Prison program is going to be really special. And then we're closing with fucking Passing Strange, which we've been wanting to do since before we existed. And it was just too big. And so we're closing with Passing Strange. That is my all-time favorite musical of is the it? world. Oh, well, you're yes. going to come back to Detroit in May to see it. Have you cast it? No, we do have a director. We've not cast it. Are you going to be I want it? to audition. Okay, great. Send me a tape. <laughs> <laughs> I love that show. Yeah. Oh, Stu. Is, is Stu going to come and help? I don't know. I don't know. We're not there yet. <laughs> oh, Coma Domingo. Coma Domingo is a, oh, a dear friend Coma of mine. Domingo. He's a dear friend of ours. We did Dot um, in our second season, and he came. And um, we have already right. been talking to him about Passing Strange. Yeah. Wow. I have this beautiful picture of I just feel we feel we're so blessed. I have this beautiful picture from our second season when Dot happened. Dominique was in town. It's Dominique Coleman, Sahim Ali, and Noah Heidel. Oh <clears throat> at our at our at our second season, and I'm like, holy shit, we got some big time people here, you know? Yeah. But yeah. you know, the power of Detroit and the power yeah. of saying you're gonna do something different, people are like, Yeah, yeah. I'm up for that. Yeah, I want yeah. my work to be seen in a community like that. Yeah, I want my yeah. work to be produced that way. Yeah. Oh, my heart is so full. I'm so happy to get to share you with our listeners. Y'all, y'all don't understand. This woman is so special to me. And I and, and you can see why. But that's just that's just the business side. Like as a human being, she's even more extraordinary. Hello. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's married to a really handsome man that I love dearly that I went to drama school with. He's amazing. Chris Corporandi, I love you. And Miles, my nephew Miles, my first nephew. My yes. first, my first <laughs> nephew. Miles Corporandi, I love you too. I miss you. <laughs> I'll let them know. Booty, you are a very special person in our life for many, many reasons. Many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> so look, I, we we have to. We, I, I can have you here all day, but you're, you'll have to come back anyway. So it's not like this is the last time. We should take a break and then come back with some provocations. How's that sound? Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, Jack, can you play some of that beautiful music that you always play? It's just so 
wonderful. Can you can you set the mood? Because we are just in the heart zone, and you do that so well. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the stereo sounds of JDB, Jack David Burmester. <laughs> Jack, that was perfect. My heart, my heart, my heart. It's the best. You're the best. Okay. Adam, please explain to Sarah Claire what a provocation is. <laughs> what a pro- I don't think I need to explain anything to Sarah Claire. I think Sarah Claire has just explained a lot to us today, which is fantastic. Um, but, but what we do at this point in the podcast is we... We, we send it out to the listeners. We, we provoke them or we question them or, you know, what can they do? Now, based off of maybe stuff that we've talked about today or stuff that we've not talked about today, uh, what, what should they be doing besides, you know, buying a, a subscription to DPT and coming to see the amazing yes. work that's coming up or, yes. or, or streaming, streaming some of the things that you have yeah, done? Yeah, do you stream? Do you stream your shows? Do you, um, do you have a... Well, maybe. I don't know. Past shows. You've got some past shows with PBS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. We Um, did No Child, Nalaja Sun's No Child with PBS. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, you can see something on PBS, y'all. Sorry. Sorry, Adam. Sorry for the No, 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 no. It's it's fantastic because uh, now uh, what should these young artists, these young actors, directors, writers, uh, hopeful managing artistic directors, what should they do? What's something that, that um, you can encourage them to read, watch, look at, go to, you know, um, is the TCG conference so, how's that, you know, a new model working for you? Is that something that, that <laughs> they should be a part of? Like, what is it that they don't know that can give them a step up to their dreams, their goals, their ideas. Or a step towards, because we're trying to push away that needing to step up kind of. Right. Just moving forward. TCG is good, important. It's great networking. It's lots of great tools. I didn't mean to shit on TCG. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I found it. It's a wonderful resource. Go to it. It really is a great resource. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm not like a big, um, reader. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a text. I'll tell you where I, I, I'll tell you that for me, um, going into my heart center and I'm not someone that likes to meditate, but I started during the, um, pandemic. I made a little cove for myself in my attic. Where I reconnected with my high school self and glitter (laughs) and glue and pictures. And I basically go up there and make art and play guitar and like do all the stuff that I hadn't done for a long time because I was living life and climbing the ladder and being a manager and, you know, all that kind Mm. of stuff. And I, I think a lot of artists are probably really good at this. I feel like I disconnected from that part for a while. And so I literally go up there and like, 
if I like settle in, even if it's for five minutes in the middle of my day, mm-hmm. if I'm having a, I like, it's become a place to connect with myself because mm-hmm. I feel like I got very far away from myself when I was pursuing the field. And so I use that as a check-in. Um, and I'm in my mid forties. Like I don't have it all figured out. Right. So like, and the, and the other thing I would say is, um, stay open. I cannot, the journey that I've had is not the journey I thought I was going to go on. And I said yes mm. to things that I was like, I don't want to do that, but I, but it came <laughs> to me and I was like, why is this coming? You know, I'd ask the question, why is this coming to me right now? Mm. Um, even though it wasn't my idea, what, what, is, you know, and so I would say yes and discover things. And some of the things I said yes to, um, were hard and I didn't love, but like are still really important parts of my becoming. Um, and so mm-hmm. for young people, I think sometimes we all have that, that map laid out, you know, what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be, what this person says it is, what you say it is to yourself. And I think allowing yourself to go on the journey, whatever it is. And if it's shitty, sometimes that doesn't mean it was a waste. And if it's mm-hmm. amazing, sometimes that's great, but don't let it get to your head. Um, and then like always go, make sure you're going back and reconnecting with your center. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to add on to that. I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that when it's falling apart, that's the body and the world saying, go deeper. Actually, yes, deeper. my world did fall apart a couple of years ago. And I was like, instead of, fighting it i was like okay i'm gonna really be in this and as an artist that was that was good and i really sat in it and i was like i'm not gonna swallow my tears i'm not gonna swallow my rage if i'm crying all day today i'm crying all day today because i have to and the pandemic gave me space to do that right because i'm sitting in my house yes. <laughs> so you were like, in your attic with your glitter <laughs> i was in my attic with my glitter and um so I, I can say, you know, like I felt like I had my shit together, you know, by the end of my thirties and like my forties has opened up a whole new, you know, mm. uh, tunnel to go down. And like, so, but like, and how, but how does that inform me as an artist? And I think in my forties, I've allowed myself to be a lot messier. So I think mm-hmm. about when you talk about young women, oh, how much work it was and, you know, all of just, mm. just the physical work, the mental work, you know, all of mm. that. All of a sudden now I'm like, fuck that. And I can get down to business, but it doesn't mean all that stuff that I did wasn't relevant. I'm just like Mm. using it and reanalyzing it and all that kind of stuff. So more, more good is to come. That's what I have to say. Just stay on the journey. I hate to flip back into a podcast, but because this is making me think about like the irrelevance of things like restoration comedy, because (laughs) how it holds up these tropes of, of, of hypermasculinity, misogyny, misogyny, homophobia, uh, uh, and and just the women having to be a certain way, you know, like th- that theater doesn't need that doesn't ever need to exist anymore because we don't. It, there's nothing to glean from that from that that psyche. No, and I when you think, and not all, and not all theater is about you know social justice, but if you're in the for me, I'm, we're always like, why does our audience need to see this play? What does our yes, community yeah. need to need to talk about, feel, think about um, for yes. this play? And very never am I like a restoration comedy. <laughs> 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 I, I, don't, I, I know there are people 
that. I'm not. That's that's fine. I I I understand. Like different people like different things, but never am I like my audience needs to see that. Our audience no. needs to see that. No, 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 no. Amen. No. I had to go there because it was just making yeah. me think of that, Sarah Clara. Like like all that hard work that we had that we did to to have a body a certain way, to 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 speak a certain way, to get people to like us in a certain way. Like and now at this age, we are like. That's all bullshit. It's all it bullshit. It you know, is. so what are those what are those images that are coming at us? And how are they coming at us? You know, as artists. But we're not going into another another podcast. No. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I just I just had to say that. Because you know, you always you always pull that out of me, you know. I was telling people, um I I don't I, I don't I don't know if it was did we talk about this in a podcast, Adam? When it was Sarah Claire that I was speaking to when I when I was talking about women. And remember remember when I said this is a country that yeah. hates women? Yeah. Yeah. And I had yeah. never really I had never really recognized that until I said it aloud to Sarah Claire and my mother, yes. who both just nodded at me like, duh. duh. And my and it hit my whole body in a whole other way. I was like, oh my fucking God, I've never I didn't see it. You know, it's because of all of the, you know, the 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 things that we're bombarded by. And it's Sometimes not that I not don't like, see it when it's happening to me because I just think, oh, that's just how the world works. I didn't always be like, oh, actually, it doesn't, it shouldn't. Have to. It doesn't have to. Have yeah. to. And you can say yes. something about it, Sarah Claire. But a lot of times I was like, well, I might get fired. Yeah. Remember the, yeah. the great story airs once said yeah. to me, um, I was like, well, what if we tell them this thing? And she and they say, no, she's like, burn it down. <laughs> Sorry. What? Story airs, y'all. Story airs. <laughs> what does that yes. mean? Yes. Amen, you can sister. ask the questions. You can speak out. It's much easier with people on your left and your right. Yeah. Yeah. Community. Adam, do you have a provocation? I, I don't want to mess up the beauty the beauty that's already happened. No, this is <laughs> this I this everything that Sarah Claire has said. Just everything. <laughs> Just everything. Yeah, yeah. So, Adam, how would we know that they've done these things? Well, what they're going to do, like uh, so many people have been doing with us lately, they're going to go to speakpipe.com backslash theater of others. Again, speakpipe.com backslash theater of others, theater of others, all one word, theater with an R-E. You can leave a 90-second voice message there. We'll play it on air, answer your questions, do your provocations. If you don't like the voicemail mm. kind of thing, you can go to podcast at Theater of Others and leave us a, a long, a long question. We have, we've got some questions coming up. Since our last podcast, Booty, on what, a couple days ago, we have even more questions. So <laughs> oh, we're, oh, we're doing we're, yeah. lightning. I love yeah, it. Exactly. It's fantastic. I have a, wait, you know, can I add something? To yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Really quick? Yes, yes, yes. yes. This is super important. A student, I don't even remember her name. This is horrible. But um, she changed my life um, in 2020. I was teaching. I had three jobs, DPT, CTC, and SCAD. I was teaching. And this um, alumni student came Okay, I'm in. sorry. DPT, CCC, SCAD CTC. sounds like – this all sounded like you were just telling us all the different STIs you just, you just got over. <laughs> I had I had SDC, CDC, PCT, and SCAD. SCAD sounds SCAD sounds painful. It's a school. Um, this woman gave this presentation to my students. She came back as an alumni to kind of talk about how she had um, what had happened for her after school and how she was making a life for herself. 
And I was listening, but also sort of like grading and stuff. And she said, there's like three things that are, you know, really important. And I don't remember what two of them were, but I heard one of them. And she said, you have to be available. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, of course you do. Right. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not fucking available for anything. I'm hardly available to take a shower every day. Like literally I would roll out of bed, get in front of the computer, stay there as long as I could. You get my kid food and then go to bed. Right. And I was like, I'm not available for anything new to come in my life. Is this it Sarah Claire? And, and it took me about a month and I quit that job and I was, and because I was reminded, what do I want to make space for? So there's my provocation. What do you want to make space for? And Mm. what are, what have you forgotten that you want or need to make space for? Not just as an artist or as, but as a human, like I was, I wanted to pay off my student loans. So I was working three jobs Mm. Mm -hmm. um, in nonprofit arts. Right. And like, but then I had to stop and be like, I don't think I would have had time to do this, Mm. you know? So like, what do I, what do you want to make space for? What do you need to yeah. be available? And then it will come to you. Cause it can't come to you if you can't hear it knocking on the door. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's woo. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you came in with that. <laughs> I'm glad you came in with that. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, looks like y'all need to subscribe, 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 because <laughs> if you don't subscribe, you ain't going to get these, these that's weekly right. chats. That's right. <laughs> I love you. And you need to leave five star, five star, five star. Like my Uber driver, he leaves me five star. I leave him five star. We flee each other. Five star, five star, five star. And then that sounds like an STD. <laughs> five star. I got five star, five star, five star, five star. Ooh, girl. Painful. You got five star. That's that. That's like that's like five star, five star, five star. That that's twenty. You got twenty stars. You got you got you got five star from your Uber driver. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do that. No, I didn't get five star from an Uber driver. I got five star, five star, five star from my Uber, my Uber driver. driver. <laughs> Damn. I'm glad we're on Zoom. Yeah, not yeah, Zoom. yeah, yeah. What is this thing? Riverside. We're on Riverside. Because we're so professional. Mm. It is very professional. This is a very professional operation. Well, yes, yes. Because that's only because we have a producer that is uber professional. Mm. Yes. Jack. Yes. David. Bumister. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much thank for coming on so and chatting much, with us. Adam and Booty. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. For giving me space. We love you so much. This was truly a gift. It was truly, truly a gift. Thank you it's for making yourself available to us. Thank you for making yourself oh available my to us. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank what you. time is it there? 9.24 a.m. Oh, you woke up with them. You woke up early in the morning for us. Thank you. I did. I am a morning girl. I'm a morning girl. Oh, good, 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 good. Adam, it's so good to see you too. Always great to see you, booty. I love you both. Love you. Love you so so much. Like my heart is so full. I love mm. you so 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 very much. <laughs> this is just a great love fest. We should start our mornings every day with a love fest. I know. Who can See, you love y'all... best with? That's the provocation. And please, both of y'all, send my love to your your partners, your lovers, and your child. I love you all. And for y'all on the other end of the line, we'll be back next week. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Theater Brothers Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, theaterbrothers.org, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. 
While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. A special thank you to Purple Planet for the music you've heard. The Theater of Others creates a shared community of artists and audiences for the purposes of exploring the most profound issues of our lives and times. We believe the play watches the audience. The audience is necessary and they are witness to what happens. And you get to be witness to us making that happen. The purpose of this podcast is to open up our process and let you in. We're peeling back the curtain, so to speak, and encouraging you to follow along, to ponder, prod, and question, to join us and criticize us if need be. Being a witness is no passive task and requires much from you. Are you up for the journey? Be sure to tune in next week for our next journey.